This is the Cultural Quarter of an Hour podcast and I'm Charlotte Foster. Every week we'll be looking at the culture all around Stoke-on-Trent and North Staffordshire. Some weeks I'll be visiting events, others I'll be hearing the stories of the people who make this area what it is. Now, when you think of culture, you might just think of dusty museums, art galleries full of paintings or people in ball gowns playing violins. But actually, it's so much more than that. It's all around us. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. It is the week before Christmas and I thought it was time to examine the spiritual side of Stoke-on-Trent. And how better to do that than by chatting to a vicar who went viral by dancing with a vacuum cleaner in the style of Freddie Mercury. I am Reverend Geoffrey Ezer. I am vicar at All Saints Church Hanley on Leak Road and minster priest at Stoke Minster. First of all, we're walking along the canal in Hanley. Mm-hmm. We just started off at Etruria. Why have you brought me here? That's a good question. When everyone, anyone, when anyone answers a question by saying it's a good question, it means because they don't have an immediate answer for what they're about to say. Nevertheless, it's a place I like walking to and with sometimes because it just gets me through the city but not in the city it's a little kind of pathway where you can begin to recognize the intricacies of what this place is about that in the midst of the busyness and the history the canal takes me on a kind of journey which allows me to have a separateness from the place that I work at and with and it's quiet as well most of the time and you bump into people and they nod at you as you walk past or the ducks will come down and annoy you but you can equally see what was before and maybe think about what could come so I thought this may be a a good place particularly as we come to the end of this year and Christmas and Advent particularly allows us to have a time of say reflection and also maybe confrontation with what we do not know yet now it's no secret you're like me not from round here no not at all what brought you here i um it was august 2011 i was looking for a my first living as they call it in the church of england when you come to the end of what you call your curacy which is a trainee apprenticeship period as a vicar priest and the london riots was taking place and i was a police chaplain due to my over-egged ego i wanted to hang out with the police and somehow get myself on the news and be this kind of heroic black priest who stood between the hordes of inverted commas white policemen and black gangs and so i was going to decline the interview i had with what we called a clergy appointments advisor at um, hampton court in westminster nevertheless um the better angels got hold of me and said you need to then go to this interview and so i did pop down to the police station that day in august 2011 spent some time there then went to my interview as planned and then put myself on the clergy appointments list now the clergy appointments list is essentially like the tinder for a clergy jobs and it's usually seen as the back route into getting one as if you, if you couldn't get one legitimately by applying you didn't put yourself on this list and it's sometimes frowned upon 
by other colleagues. Nevertheless, I thought, you know, I haven't found a job yet, so I did put my name on the list. From that list, I got two phone calls, one from the Diocese of Liverpool and one from this diocese here at Litchfield. And I made my way ahead up here on September 2011 to have a look around and All Saints Church was one of the churches I looked at the housing which is not too far from the Tura Industrial Museum was there as well which I thoroughly liked and enjoyed and All Saints at the time was fated for closure and there was a plan in in, in place for the church to close down and to maybe reduce in size to the church hall and also working at the Minster was quite tempting. Met with my colleagues, who is just one, one still my colleague, Reverend Pauline Lockley and David Lingwood at the time. Liked what I saw and thought, why not? And fundamentally, it was an opportunity for me to leave London, which is where I'm from, and begin to start a journey where I can start to write my own story and not have it written for me. And Stoke offers me and offered me that opportunity. The challenge was back then in 2011, as I was preparing for the interview, was whether I would actually take that leap. So in a sense, I chose Stoke as much as Stoke chose me, and maybe there was an unseen hand involved in bringing us together. How important is religion in Stoke-on-Trent? It plays a role. However, and it does have a degree of importance, but that importance struggles to be translated into significance. We, I think as a city, are caught between what we used to do and what we wish to do. And the church, therefore, in my opinion, struggles, therefore, to place religion into current cultural contexts as well as local vernacular and needs. Maybe to an extent we think we're more important than we truly are. And that kind of arrogance, if not hubris, can lead to some sense of disillusionment and lack of understanding as to what the people of Stoke may wish for or want. So it has an importance, but whether it has a significance, I think still remains to be seen and still remains to be worked out. How will you be working that out then? How, what, what do you see your role as? I've had the most wonderful privilege, certainly since my mother passed three years ago, to help families say goodbye to a number of loved ones. And each of those families in their own beautiful way have allowed me into their sacred space my role which even in that statement may seem somewhat contrived is to hear their voice the voice of those who have passed and the voice of those who remain after they have gone and somehow for want of a better phrase make their voices heard but in doing so it it, it doesn't necessarily mean that I inverted commas are of importance at that point 
I learned the importance of being connected with them as they begin to work out and work through how they say goodbye. And I've learned so much from them. The baptisms I've done and the weddings I've done, so the occasional offices, as we call them in the Church of England, have given me so such great inspiration and the families I've met and the conversations I've had and they carry me as I walk through my own life and equally through this town. Beyond that, it then challenges me to ask the question as to what do we do, either as a church or as individual priests, to join in or be or somehow bring to light the significance of religion. And I think for me it is about creating a space within the spaces that have been passed down to us, like church buildings, where people can come in and be. Be who they are, but also not just be human beings, but human becomings. People who can see beyond the confines of their circumstances and begin to dream dreams and have visions. And to do so in a way which is not about creating or delivering a group of cohorts who have been indoctrinated by a particular theological understanding but that me as a priest will treat someone who's come once the same as I would treat someone who's come a thousand times obviously there's degrees of different types of relationship but in terms of attitude in terms of hope in terms of delivery that everyone that walks through the door has the freedom to leave as much as to come so if there is a role for me, and that is an if, because one can't presume one as much as one may take one on, if there is a role, it's to join in the wider conversation and not to restrict it to what I may believe to be my own understanding, either of my religion or myself, but to hear the voices of others and see how they contribute to me becoming more of myself, but equally having a deeper understanding of the people that I interact with. Going back to you when you first came here then... Mm. What were your first impressions of the city, especially coming from somewhere like London? I always presumed it would be different. London is the largest city within the country, if not in the world. And I'd lived there all my life up until that point, bar some time in New Orleans, Bristol and Leicester. And so... I knew I would be encountering the unknown. Without being profane, one of my friends, when he arrived at my installation, looked at All Saints Church and said, what the... and we can guess what the next word was. And he continued to say, Jeff, I only give you two years here and we're going to come back and and rescue you. It was a tongue-in-cheek comment, but it said a lot about what he encountered. And as much as maybe what I encountered but wasn't maybe prepared to say... I recognise, just in terms of size, how small the place was because the fact you can maybe drive for five or ten minutes and be out in some wonderful green areas was indicative of what surrounded this city. And I think what I met here or what I've seen here or what I arrived to was a place that was grieving for what had gone on before scrambling for an identity now and wondering where it could go 
as the six unique towns that make up Stoke-on-Trent. I was on my own, so I had the privilege to an extent not to persuade others to come with me. And so the cross that I bear is that for me alone to take. And there's some degree of freedom and enjoyment in that because you don't have to answer to anyone as much as you have to answer to yourself. And so I found myself on a journey of exploration. What's going to be here? What's going to be next? Who are these people? And be trying to maybe open up my ears and to, to hear not just the birds singing, but the people's voices ringing as well. And what's changed over the last six years? Six years, coming up six years, February 2018 will, be, will mark my sixth anniversary of my installation. What's changed? I think what would exemplify the journey more than anything else would be certainly the journey of All Saints Church Hanley. Having arrived here six years ago, and as I said earlier in this um, conversation, the church was fated for closure. And understandably so. Small congregation, one that was 20 when I arrived, and sometimes this year we've only had two people come through the door. I had said goodbye to eight of members of that congregation. Some surprised me, others did not. But nevertheless, it was, it was shrinking. Massive building, maintenance costs, which were always increasing as the congregation decreased. And the deanery and, and diocese had a plan, an understandable plan, to lease the building to a smaller, maybe more vibrant church that would then take on the repairs and we would then, as a Church of England church, move into the hall. That deal fell through for various reasons and we were left to petition the place to be closed. And about two or three days before we were going to make an application to the Heritage Lottery Fund, the person who was to write the application, unfortunately, um, broke their shoulder and couldn't, obviously, do what needed to be done and so it was left to me. And so I had to begin to dream. What do I mean by that? A wise man once said at the, in front of one of the greatest constitutional parliaments in the world, I have a dream. And he was then able to imagine a completely different world to the one that was confronting him in front of him. And I think men like that and women likewise inspired me to dream to think of what have we got and one of the biblical implications or motives that have really sort of pushed me was the feeding of the 5,000 where Jesus confronted the disciples and said what have you got and asked of them what can they do with what they have and for me that has been the journey of all saints and if not maybe a message for the city what can we truly imagine Sometimes we are governed by our circumstances. And one of the phrases which is often used is, you know, who are we? You know, people ask us a question and say, how are you? And we say, under the circumstances. Now, circumstances may not change, but why don't we live above the circumstances? Maybe our perspective of our circumstances need to change. And for me, it was looking at the building and actually saying to myself, what can this building do? What can this building be, not just for me as a priest, but for the people who live in Joyner Square and beyond? 
and we began to imagine we began to dream and so therefore we began to see what is possible even in a place which seemingly seems impossible to work with and work at where a priest from East London whose parents were immigrants moved up to an area where only a few years prior to his arrival BNP councillors were actually running the city and all of a sudden there's an there's an not necessarily a new narrative but an enlivening one between myself as I confront maybe my own internal racism, sexism and all the rest of it and insecurities and with a city which may reflect more of me than anything else and we began to dream. I think that to an extent is what I've seen over the last six years, the possibilities of hope. Well, Cultural Quarter of an Hour is going to be having a little bit of a break for the next couple of weeks. We're going to have a refresh and a recharge, so we're all ready for the new year and beyond. I'm quite excited about what 2018, not 2017, that's now. I'm quite excited about what 2018 has in store for us all. Uh, Don't worry, there will still be a podcast coming on those two weeks. I'm going to look back at the first six months of Cultural Quarter of an Hour. We'll have a look at the highs and we can't ignore the lows, I'm afraid. So we'll have that in there as well. So you won't be missing out. Just nothing new while we have a little bit of a break. You can still, of course, get in touch with me uh, over the Christmas break and beyond. It's on social media. It's cultural quarter of an hour is uh, our Facebook page and if you want to get in touch on Twitter it is at CQHpod and don't forget cqhpod.co.uk is the website. 